for me to live is dot dot dot. What would you answer to that question? For me to live is. If you were to fill in the blanks that life meant this to you and this was your life, what would look at, what would the, be in the blanks? Let me phrase the question slightly differently. If your friends and family, i.e. those who know you best, because I tell myself things about me that aren't true. I think they are, but they're not. But my friends and family, those closest to me, really know more know better about me than I know about me, 90% of the time. So, if your friends and family, those you know best, were to finish this sentence, what do you think they would say about you? For Bob to live, or for you to live, for them to live, is... Fill in the blanks. What would the blank be saying? For me to live is family. For me to live is career. For me to live is health. For me to live is pleasure. For me to live, and this was a thing that I wrote in when I thought about this this morning, been preparing for this message. For me to live, God help me, is ministry. It is that thing that if you lost it, it would feel like death. How do you interpret what is happening to you in your life? Not just the planned good stuff, the the things that you plan, the good stuff that happens to you, but the unplanned bad stuff. How do you interpret not just the good stuff that comes into your life, but the bad stuff that comes into your life as well? How many of you have seen the film The Sound of Music? Embarrass yourself and put put your hands up. It's, yeah, okay. Now, you wouldn't admit that normally, and it, we're, but we're all mates. We can say it like it is. We've, we, some of you have seen the sound of music. Oh, well. It's not, I wouldn't call it my favourite movie of all time. <clears throat> there's a, there's a, a song, uh, and I think it's sung by Julie Andrews, the character that Julie Andrews is playing as she's anticipating getting married to the love of her life. And I think they sing this together. I think it's so... It's a real, you know, where's the bucket song. (laughs) Here it goes. I'm not going to sing it. I'll just say the words, okay? Here you are loving me, whether or not you should. So somewhere in my childhood, I must have done something good. Right? And they sing it again. Here you are, loving me, whether or not you should. So somewhere in my childhood, I must have done something good. Nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. That's how religion works, by the way. That is classic religion. Religion says, live a good life. And God will give you a happy life. He owes you a happy life. You're living a good life. You're reading your Bible. You're saying your prayers. You're coming to church. You're doing all of the right things to please God. And therefore God owes you a happy life. 
Here you are loving me, whether or not you should. So somewhere in my childhood, I must have done something good. So, if bad stuff happens, if that's your worldview, if bad stuff happens, you process it in one of two ways. It must be, I must have done something bad. Nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something bad. Why does it always rain on me? Was it because I lied when I was 17? That's a song, isn't it? That's a classic religious song as well. So it's my fault. I have, so I descend into I hate me days. I'm a failure. I'm rubbish. I've done something bad. I'm not sure what it is, but I must have done something bad, so I hate me. Or I hate thee. This isn't right. Why are you letting this happen to me? I'm a nice person. I don't deserve this. Why are you doing this to me? So we flip between I hate me and I hate thee. That is classic religion. That's how religion shapes your heart. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because unless you and me can say with the Apostle Paul, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, because that's what he does say in verse 21, which is my text this morning, everything and anything that threatens your life will be a loss. And you will say, for me to live is family, career, health, pleasure, ministry, whatever it is, and to die is loss. Many, many people live like that. If I lose this, I've lost everything. I was coming to the early bird prayer meeting on Friday morning and a guy walked up the drive completely, he'd been walking around Flitic from three o'clock in the morning. His wife had kicked him out for some reason or other. He was utterly distraught. I've lost everything. I've got no reason to live. I was on my way to commit suicide and jump off the bridge. And I just saw this church and I walked in. For me to live is this, but I've lost that, so I might as well die. How well equipped are you to give an explanation to the changing circumstances of your life, even with all its uncertainties and unanswered questions? Are you able, are you equipped to whatever happens, whatever is happening to you, and whatever will happen to you, are you able to rejoice? Are you rejoicing in the things that have happened to you, good or bad, And are you able to rejoice in the things that are coming your way, even though you have no idea what will happen to you? Are you able to rejoice? You see, how you answer those questions will will be determined by the nature of your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is a test of how healthy your relationship with Christ actually is. That's what Paul is writing to these questions. Christians in the church at Philippi. He wants them to have a healthy relationship with Christ so they can rejoice in what's happened to them, what is going to happen to them. They're going to be, he wants them to be able, like him, to rejoice. That's 
why he wrote the letter. If you were arrested and put in prison without anything resembling a fair trial and then put on death row purely because you love Jesus Christ and you seek to share him with people you meet, if that had happened to you, would you be able to rejoice? If you did not know that at any moment you could be taken from your prison cell and executed for just being guilty of being a Christian, would you be able to rejoice? These were Paul's circumstances, and he was able to look, over, look back over what had happened to him and rejoice. And he was able to look forward to whatever would happen to him and rejoice. You will know, because of the support that we give to Open Doors, that there are many circumstances of many of our Christian families worldwide right now that map closely onto Paul's condition. I was at a conference in London this past week, and um, one of the seminars I went to, which was quite a good seminar, I happened to be sat next to this chap, and we'd never met, didn't know him from Adam, he didn't know me from Adam. Uh, in a former life, he was a merchant banker, raised and brought up in Northampton, used to be a member of Amptill Shooting Club. And I said, I think they're still firing on all cylinders. That was a joke there. Anyway. He got called into ministry, and he's now serving the Lord in India. Um, he said, if you draw a straight line between Calcutta and Delhi, we're about in the middle there. And he went over there. There was a church of about five or six people. It's now a thriving church of 250 people, and they're planting churches. And he's involved in Pastors Training International as well. And I, I said to him, there's, there's some pressure coming on the Christian community in India, isn't there, at the moment? He said, it's called the Hinduization of India. It's a, it's a radical Hindu government, and they, just, they, they're not, they want to make it a Hindu state. India is to be... From top to bottom, Hindu. That's the only faith that's tolerated, will be tolerated in India, is the ambition of the Hindu government. But he said the problem is it's not so much state persecution, state sponsored persecution, it's family persecution. He said, I know, a fo I know a boy now, he's an adult, but he he's now an adult serving as a pastor in a church in India. He came to faith in Christ at a youth camp, aged 14. He trusted Jesus. And he got home and told his mum and dad, who weren't Christians, aren't... The story's not finished yet. That he trusted Christ. His dad went ballistic. It's a shame and honour culture. And every day of that boy's life, till he was 18 and left home, his father beat him. Come home from school, are you still a Christian? Yeah. He'd get a, a thorough beating from his father. Four years, every day of his life. Are you still a Christian? He'd get another beating. Are you still a Christian? Get another beating. Left home at 18, went to Bible seminary, became a pastor, led his dad to Christ and baptised him before his dad died. This, this guy also showed, told me that he's friends with a, a bishop in northern Nigeria. And uh, 
he was asking his friend in Nigeria, how, how do you cope with the constant threat of terrorist attacks from Boko Harim? How do, you, how do you deal with that? How do you pastor churches that are living under the constant threat of, of their services being interrupted, disrupted massively, people being killed and the churches being burned? How do you cope? And this is what this uh, Nigerian pastor told uh, my new friend. He said, what we have to do is make sure that mum and dad worship in different churches. And they take some of the kids with the dad and some of the kids with the mum because if, if one of the parents gets killed, there's one left. That's how Christians in Nigeria and India are living. Which maps, as I say, very closely onto the Apostle Paul. He was able to rejoice. And he wants it to be possible for every Christian to live like this. How is that possible? Who wouldn't want to live in such 360 degrees of freedom and joy, irrespective of circumstances? The, the answer is, Paul had learned to live a cross-shaped life. And it filled him with joy and praise and confidence. And he writes to this church that he loves, so that they too will learn the secret of living a cross-shaped life. And like him, experience the 360 degrees of circumstance-free freedom and joy that it brings. What Paul does in this section, and we're looking at particularly 12 to 26, we won't cover all of the ground, there's a ton of ground here. I just want to draw out three things that Paul shares with the church at Philippi and by extension with us this morning. He talks about, one, what has happened to me has exalted Christ. What ever happens to me I pray will exalt Christ and here's the secret of how I get to there for to me to live is Christ so if you have your Bibles please open with me to Philippians chapter 1 and we're going to look at first of all verses 12 to 18 what has happened to me gives me reasons to rejoice because the gospel has advanced what he says in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And then what he does, he shows us how the gospel has advanced. He doesn't just leave it there as a general statement. He actually puts de definition and detail in. The palace guard, verse 13, the palace guard and everyone else is hearing about Jesus because of my chains. That's what he says. As a result... It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And then he goes on, confident Christians have become more confident in their preaching of, of Christ, however they are motivated. And the reason is, verse 14, because of my chains. And because of my chains, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel, verse 18, and because of this, I rejoice. What are the chains that you're wearing at the moment? Paul had chains, literally chains, on him. And Jesus ultimately put those chains on him. 
And the chains that Jesus put on Paul were gospel advancing chains. And God has put chains on you. Not maybe physical chains, but he's put circumstances into your life that you did not choose and you did not want and over which you have no control. What are your chains this morning? What are the things that you wish you didn't have to put up with in your life? The things that you say, Lord, I'm a Christian, get me out of here. What are your chains? How are you interpreting your chains? Are you learning to rejoice in your chains as you discover that Jesus has got his DNA all over them? You see, Paul was able to trace his Redeemer's hands on his chains because he saw people coming to faith in Christ. He saw Christians growing in their boldness. And it's because of my chains and because of this, I rejoice. How are you processing the chains that Jesus has put on you? Doesn't sound like freedom, does it? But actually it is. Because he says, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Look at verse 19, verse, end of verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Why? For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul rejoices that people are praying for him. For I know through your prayers. Paul loved this church, and this church loved Paul. And he knew that they were absolutely heartbroken and devastated over his imprisonment and possible execution. And we learned last week in uh, chapter 1, 3 through 11, Paul spent a lot of time in prison praying for them. I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Verse 9, and this is my prayer. So he, and in prison, was praying for them. And while he was in prison, he knew they were praying for him. And he so values this prayer partnership in the gospel, verse 5, because he recognizes that there is something mysterious about how God works, our sovereign God works, and wraps our prayers into his sovereign, predetermined plan. I mean, if you think you can understand that, please tell me afterwards, because it does my head in. I can't get my head round it. But God values prayer. And he, and, and he works his sovereign will that he's already predetermined, and he wraps into it our prayers. For I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, notice he goes on, and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know what the church at Philippi were praying for Paul, but it may have been something, Lord, please get Paul out of prison, and please give Paul the Holy Spirit so that he can trust you in the midst of his trial please give him the spirit of jesus christ father so that he can get through what he's going through in god and god's provision of the spirit of jesus christ in answer to your prayers for me i think that's the he's linking his prison their prayers and god's spirit bearing down upon him in his prison cell 
Now, okay, a bit techy. Why does he say the Spirit of Jesus Christ? Why does he not say the Spirit of God? Why does he not say the, the Holy Spirit? Why does he not say the Spirit of Christ Jesus? Because those are terms that the Bible uses in describing the work of and the person of the Holy Spirit. Why does he say, and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ? Answer, when Paul talks about the Spirit of Jesus Christ, he's always talking about the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. He's always talking about him in a physical body, going through sufferings and dying on a cross. When he talks about him as Christ Jesus, he's talking about him as the, as the exalted king. So he's praying that God would give them, the church are praying, that God would give the Apostle Paul the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And he says, this will turn out for my deliverance. That's what he says, doesn't he? For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Deliverance from what? Deliverance from prison? Well, he doesn't know if he's going to get out of prison at this stage. He's confident that he will be. He goes through, he shares the emotional turmoil that he's in. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in, my body, in, in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. So it's probably, having wrestled this through, what do you want, Lord? Is, how's this going to end? Me being ex executed or me being released? Which way is this going to go? Either way, I want Jesus to be exalted. But on balance of probability, I think it's going to be my release. It will turn out for my deliverance. That's a maybe. We don't know. He doesn't know precisely, nor does the church know at this stage. We do, because the letter tells us he got out. But he didn't know at the moment. That's the point I'm making. How it was going to play out. How God was going to answer those prayers. It, I do think it includes deliverance from the threat of shame and the lack of courage. Because I think that's clear from verse 20. Because you can imagine a man of Paul's calibre... to feel a degree of shame for what's happening to him. The great, mighty Apostle Paul in chains. There's going to be a degree of shame that he's going to be threatened by and feeling. The, he doesn't want the tentacles of shame that's what has happened to him to grip his heart and turn his heart away from Christ, which it can do. Because that's what he says, doesn't he? Verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. And the other emotion that he is dreading, that he doesn't want to be under the grip of, is fear. I don't want to be ashamed, and I want, I don't, I want to have sufficient courage. I don't want to give way to shame, and I don't want to give way to fear. So I want the Spirit of Jesus Christ, in answer to your prayers, to give me sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death that's deliverance by the way to be delivered from the emotional chains 
the non-Christian satanic chains that can bind you. And you'll only get that in answer to the prayers of God's people for you and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ in you to set you free from those. And then you can face anything. You can face anything. That's deliverance, isn't it? I know churches say they've got a deliverance ministry. This is it. This is gospel deliverance, right? To, to, to be so full of the spirit of Jesus Christ that you're going to be delivered from your fears, delivered from your shame, and get through what the Lord's got you into for his glory. So he goes on to say, whatever will happen to me. Verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will no, in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. So that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Is that how you think of the exaltation of Christ? Because we're going to come on to chapter 2, verse 9, where we're told that God exalted him to the highest place. God exalted Jesus to the highest place. But here the Apostle Paul wants the already exalted Christ to be exalted even more in his body on planet Earth. You see, we learn from Paul that God is committed that the entire cosmos is in the business of exalting Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father, chapter 2, 9 through 11. How do you know that you've embraced the gospel? How do you know you've really become a Christian? How do you know that you are really walking with the Lord, walking in step with the Spirit? How do you know? How can you leave this place confident that you are a real deal, blood-bought, Spirit-filled Christian this morning? The answer the text gives us is that you want the same thing God wants. You want Jesus to look great to everybody and anybody. You want, that's the heart of the gospel, the exaltation of Christ. You want the same things God does. You pray with passion, not just out of rote. Hallowed be your name. And Paul would add, hallowed be your name, Father, in my body, today, in my life, hallowed be your name. Through whatever you put me through, send the Spirit of Jesus Christ into me so that in my body today, whatever I face, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name in the body that Jesus himself purchased for your glory on the cross. Have you got the gospel? Are you a real Christian this morning? Because that's where Paul wants Every, that's where Paul wants to get to, and he's on that journey, and he wants every Christian in the church at Philippi to get there too. Whatever will happen to me, whether by life or by death, what does he mean? He means that whatever he does, whatever happens to him in Paul's physical, blood-bought, spirit-filled body, his hope is that Christ will be exalted. Is that your hope too? He means that whatever he is whether he is fulfilling his life's ambitions in his chosen path, his chosen career, and his chosen plans, or whether he is stopped in his tracks from reaching his goals, 
Christ is exalted. Can you live like that? He means that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. Jesus, therefore, not Paul, will determine how Jesus will exalt himself in Paul's body. And therefore, because he has the exaltation of Christ as the goal of his life and of his death, he can face whatever path Jesus marks out for him with joy and confidence and peace and contentment. Lord, please send me the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ that I may live a Christ-exalting life and in your perfect time die a Christ-exalting death. Now, does that sound like a super-spiritual, restricted, boring life, only, only reserved for a rare breed, who've chosen an austere, sackcloth and ashes, I am not worthy, miserable life? Because they are not the emotions that Paul experiences or expresses in this letter, are they? What runs through this letter is Paul's unbridled joy and rejoicing they permeate every page of this letter and he wants that same joy to permeate the the heart of every christian in the church at philippi so where did he get the power to be so joyful here's my text we finally arrived long introduction at my text this morning for me to live is christ And to die is gain. Paul discovered the secret and the source of unbreakable joy was in Christ. Paul learned the secret of life is Christ. To live is Christ. Life equals Christ. Paul experienced that Jesus did not surrender his life in his body on his death on the cross so that Paul was set free to live how Paul pleased. He discovered that Jesus set Paul free to live how Jesus pleased. (laughs) How did he get this? Did he go to Bible college? Well, he had more degrees than Fahrenheit, didn't he? But he, he received it as a gift. This is a blood-bought, spirit-filled gift from the risen Christ. He didn't decide to follow Jesus. Jesus decided that Paul was going to follow Jesus. Jesus decided that I would follow Jesus. That's what it says in the text. Look at verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him. What does that mean? It means that Jesus' life and death story that we're coming to in chapter 2, which actually runs throughout the whole Bible. There's a whole Bible written about the life and death story of Jesus and the life and death and resurrection life of Jesus. The whole Bible is about the life and death of Jesus. What has happened is that Jesus' life and death story has become Paul's life and death story. And Paul's life and death story is Jesus' life and death story. 
The two are, run, are in the same race. They're living the same life. That's what it means to be in Christ. Jesus' life and death story becomes your life and death story. And, his, and your life and death story becomes his life and death story. Therefore, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Gain what? Rather gain who? Chapter 3, verse 8, that I may gain Christ. That I may gain Christ in all his resurrection exalted fullness. Because he, as according to Paul in the letter to the, flip, uh, letter to the Ephesians, Paul, Jesus fills the whole universe. And I want to gain Christ. I want to be with him forever. So he used it. There must have been something of a British gene in the Apostle Paul. Why do I say that? Because he was the master of the understatement. Look at what he says in chapter 123. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is, here's the understatement, better by far. Where? What? To be with Jesus, the one who fills the entire cosmos, to be with him. Well, I want to gain him and see him and be with him because my life on earth is lived out through him, by him, for him. It's better by far. That's an understatement. That's a, that's a huge understatement. Is that how you define your life and your death? Can you imagine it, what it would make you like if you, if, you were like if you were like Paul able to do that? By the way, who would not want a transformation like this? Who would not want to live constantly with joy-saturated confidence? Whatever happens... I thought about this. Can you imagine Lazarus? You know the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11 where Jesus goes to the graveside of Lazarus and the same question is asked of Jesus by both Martha and Mary. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Your brother will rise again. No, rise again at the resurrection. No, your brother will rise again in a moment. <laughs> right. Four days, he waited four days. Lazarus had died and he'd been in the tomb for four days. And no wonder someone said, he's been four days, he stinks. Or in the AV, he stinketh. He didn't stink. But the four days was the passage of time the Jewish superstition had well, the, the, the spirit hangs around the, the, the grave for three days, and then after the fourth day, they now he waited four days just to blow that one out of the water. And Lazarus come out, and the dead man came out. We know from later on in John's Gospel that because Lazarus had been raised from the dead by Jesus and was talking about Jesus, can you imagine him talking, having tea with Lazarus? What was it like? What was it like? Right? You'd want to know, wouldn't you? You want to, you want to have a, you want to spend, chill out with Lazarus and spend some time with him. What was it like when Jesus called you back? What happened? How would? What, ah. And the enemies of Jesus wanted to kill Lazarus. Can you imagine? 
Can you imagine them going up to Lazarus saying, if you don't shut up talking about Jesus, we'll kill you. Bring it on. Wow, is that the worst you can do? I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Don't leave this room this morning until you know with 100% confidence that you are ready to die. Because if you're ready to die and you look forward and say, death is gain because I gain Christ, you are ready to live. You can't live until you're ready to die. So what is your answer to that question? For to me, to live is. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, please grant that by your sovereign grace and the blood-bought gift of the Holy Spirit, you would grant everyone in this place this morning and everyone who hears this on the internet later on to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Grant this prayer because we pray this in Jesus name Amen can we have the words of the last